As we continue our journey through the Bible, we uh, come to an interesting new section of Jesus's teaching techniques. He's gonna start something that's a little different here in Mark chapter 10, which is kind of fun. We'll take a look at that. Um, a young boy and his father, uh, his father, a surgeon at a local hospital, tragically got into a car accident and the father was killed instantly. The little boy was rushed to the local hospital and there in the operating room, the surgeon said, I can't operate on this boy, he's my son. The boy's father, a surgeon was at the hospital, was, was killed. Um, so you say, well, how's that possible? That's impossible. It works when you realize that the surgeon was his mother. And now it makes sense that we see here a paradox. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I always love the delayed people. Oh! <laughs> a paradox, get it? There was a mom and a dad, two doctors, uh, and one was his father, one was his mother. Uh, anyway, um, if, if you don't understand it yet, uh, never mind. Uh, but Jesus is gonna use the technique of paradox. Um, and this idea of paradox is a seemingly absurd or even self-contradictory statement. You know, that his father was killed, uh, but uh, the surgeon uh, said, you know, said he, he couldn't operate on the, but we realized it was the, it was the mother. So um, that's, that's the absurd contradiction it seemed, but when you investigate further or explain it out, it may prove to be well-founded and or true. Um, and that's kind of the technique Jesus is gonna use here. Um, Jesus has already used several uh, techniques of teaching. Uh, we've seen him use, uh, you know, simplicity. I love just the simplicity of Jesus's teaching. And he taught as one having authority with that simplicity. He taught in parables. We've seen a bunch of parables. Mark's not uh, as huge on the parables as some, but um, there are, you know, we have seen some of those. Um, and also, one of the things we saw last weekend, well, Jesus will use in the moment teaching moments uh, where something happens and then Jesus turns to the disciples. Now, here's a teaching moment I'm gonna explain. Uh, and we saw that uh, this last weekend as we were studying uh, later on in this chapter. Um, but the chapter that's before us, there's gonna be five paradoxes that Jesus is gonna uh, uh, talk about here and he's gonna identify. The first one we'll identify, this one is the two shall be one. The two shall be one. Here in Mark chapter 10, uh, starting in verse one. Mark 10, verse one. It says, and he arose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. Uh, King James, as he was wont, your, I think ESV says what? As was his custom. That's probably an easier way to understand it. His custom was this. Uh, he would go and start teaching. Jesus was a teacher. He taught them uh, often. And the people were, I love the word that's used here, uh, resorting unto him. Always a good way to consider your time with Jesus. Um, do you ever feel like you need a break from news, a break from people yelling in your ear, a break from busyness and schedules and, and iPhones and stuff like that? Um, one of the things that you can do is resort to Jesus. You know, we go to resorts for re relaxation and a little R&R, &R, uh, but that's not the, the, you know, the truest form of resorting. I think if you wanna go to a real resort, 
resort unto Jesus. Uh, you know, there's passages in the Bible. Many, many people resorted unto Jesus. And, um, and that's where you can get recharged. Uh, but Jesus's custom was to teach. Um, and by the way, churches today should follow Jesus's example on this. Everybody says, oh, we're gonna be like Jesus. And then they make up kind of who they think Jesus was. But if you really make a true study of Jesus's life, he spent a lot of time in his ministry teaching, 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 teaching. Uh, that's one of the things, even as it says, as was his custom, he taught them again. Um, you know, I hope we never, you know, tire of getting into scripture or looking at scripture. And it's shocking really how many um, churches got tired of the Bible, just frankly. So they started just tacking on little verses or even reading other books, you know, uh, uh, you know in their church services and instead of the Bible. Uh, and I always would want to tell those pastors, there's, there's a bestseller I could recommend. Uh, it's been a bestseller for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, it's perfect and there's with no error. Uh, why would you ever exchange some sorry author for some sorry book for the Bible? Anything compared to the Bible is a sorry excuse of writing uh, compared to the Bible. Um, and why would people do that? Well, churches, well, you know, it's modern day, the Bible's an old book and they have their reasons for saying that, but oh, how poorer we are because we've neglected the Bible. Um, you know, a sign of a solid church, in my opinion, is a bunch of people bringing their Bibles. Oh, Brett, you're so old school about bringing the Bible. Um, we finally had one of our little video snippets go viral that went over a million views. It's funny how that happens for no reason at all. Like we have no idea why this really happened, but it did. And it's the one where I was just talking here with you guys about what if you left your Bible at home, you know, and uh, you, turn your Bible, you turn around and get your Bible. What if you treated your Bible like you treat your phone? That thing went to like 1.3 million views. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but what I found was interesting was all the crit criticisms, you know, because my point, my point was, you know, to say, um, to say, hey, uh, think about, you know, getting a real Bible and bringing it with you wherever you go. And, but one of the big, you know, the, all the, the, you know, smart people out there, well, I have a Bible already in my, uh, and it is my phone, you know. They missed the first part of my teaching because I didn't put it on the whole snippet. But, um, but you know, my argument is, is um, you know, if, you, if I have my Bible on my phone too, of course, uh, I'm not a Neanderthal man. Uh, I, people think, oh, he must be really old school, you know, leather covered Bible. Who is he? You know, uh, John Wayne, the Bible or whatever. But uh, I, I have a leather covered Bible because I, I like to preserve my Bibles. They kind of break apart very easily, not with cowhide. Uh, uh, and, um, and, and I like to keep it handy. And so I do carry it with me, but I also use my phone Bible. But the point is my phone is, is that full of distractions. It's got, you know, messages that pop in and calendars to look at and, you know, fruit to slice. I mean, it's just so busy, <laughs> busy, 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 uh, your phone. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but, you know, people act like, oh, I've, I've got self-control. Well, the, the, the numbers don't show that. The numbers show that we're extremely distracted. When I put my phone away and just get out my paper Bible, there's no distraction. I'm getting direct messages from the Lord. Uh, so again, I'm gonna stand on my, my uh, you know, diatribe and just say, hey, I get you a Bible, a real Bible, uh, one with paper, and uh, you know, make it one that you're used to and one that you're familiar with. Um, by the way, uh, I, I've used, you know, I use like computer Bible stuff probably more than most people. I mean, I mean, even when I study I use Logos Bible software, which is outstanding, it's a little higher, uh, you know, learning curve than most Bible software. If you want to really go deep in Bible study, Logos Bible software has no real limits, if you ask me. But um, 
But you know, Blue Letter Bible's awesome and that's free online. If you haven't looked at Blue Letter Bible, it's an awesome tool. Uh, but um, digital, the problem with digital Bibles is it's not quite the same thing in that um, I think you, you, you actually know where things are in, on the page and in context of itself better than just reading digitally. When you read a digital page that looks exactly the same for the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, see, I've got, uh, I may not be, if, if you ask me, where's such and such a verse? I may not say the exact address, but I can turn right to it. It's so familiar, you know, it's like, it's just kind of, I can just turn to it and go, oh, well, that's actually Jeremiah chapter eight, verse nine, you know? Uh, like I can, I can, I can look and, and I know right where it is on the page. I know where it's somewhere in Jeremiah, kind of toward the beginning, I can kind of flip through. And I, you know, it can be fairly obscure. I'm not great at memorizing where all the addresses are, but I, and then there's something about that that helps keep things in context too. It's hard to explain. I know it sounds very old school, but that's why I'm so thankful. I always hear pages rustling. Again, if you use a digital Bible and iPad, you're not you know, going to hell, probably. Um, <laughs> no, just, just kidding, just kidding. No, if you're, that's great. I, some of our pastor staff uses digital Bibles. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's totally cool. Um, I'm just arguing for the, there, there are some, what I would say, uh, some benefits to, and you know, you can do whatever you want, uh, but, um, but I think there's real benefit. And I have to say, when I see Athey Creekers walking into church with Bibles under their arms, somehow that just makes me really happy. Uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's you know, a carpenter can have his favorite hammer and, and he can use it like it's part, just a part of who he is. A gunslinger has to have the right weight and balance. <laughs> you know, if you watched enough cowboy movies. Uh, and he was familiar with his, his weapon of choice, uh, a swordsman with a sword, uh, the right balance and weight, and you'd become an expert with that. Well, this is the sword of the spirit. And I think uh, being a, someone who can handle it and know where stuff is and, and be a wielder of the sword with, with skill um, is something that uh, I think is just, just a kind of next level. If, you ask, if you're asking what I'm talking about, I'm talking about kind of next level Bible student is to have a, a real Bible and make it your own. Um, and, uh, and by the way, um, I also uh, for years have written little notes in my Bible and uh, that's always been kind of fun too. I don't have that. I know you can do notes with different Bible software and stuff, but there's something about, I write all my notes in my Bible microscopically, but also in pencil. Uh, because my notes are not the holy word of God. And sometimes I have to erase some stuff uh, that wasn't, wasn't exactly right, you know, and stuff like that. But anyway, um, Jesus was all about the word, sharing the word, uh, and, and he's a teacher. And, um, and this, uh, the, the, these uh, Pharisees are about to bring up something very controversial. We see that uh, in verse two. It says, and the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife tempting him. They know this question is going to test or tempt Jesus. How is this gonna test them? Jesus knows the answer. What's the problem? Well, the Pharisees are bringing up the most controversial subject of the day. That was it back then, should a man divorce his wife. Today it might be, are you a man or a woman or do you even know? <laughs> um, uh, that's what's controversial today. We've gone a long way. Uh, into insanity since then. But controversial for their time was divorce. Uh, and, you know, seeking to divide people, they want Jesus to stand on one side or the other on this divorce issue. Now, now, if you go back to the first century, there were two huge arguments raging at the time. You can look this up. It's even on uh, Wikipedia. The rage uh, war between Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. 
And these two rabbis, what, Rabbi Shammai was sort of the uh, conservative, um, you, know, um, uh, you know, guy that was uh, arguing that divorce is only in the case of adultery. If you go with the law of Moses, that's all you can really uh, say. Rabbi Hillel was more of a liberal uh, sort of uh, scholar. And he, was, he would make the argument you could divorce your wife for just about any reason. Um, in fact, he even wrote, if, if the wife burns the meal for dinner, uh, you can divorce her for that. Uh, those were terms for divorce. That was Hillel's, uh, you know, sort of deal. And, and so uh, people were raging with this argument. So they know that Jesus, it'll cut his audience in half, uh, depending on how he answers this question. And they want him to look bad or they wanna give Jesus sort of the self-incriminating answer from Jesus. Um, but I love Jesus's answer. He always answers so brilliantly. Let's, let's see his answer in verse three. And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? Um, now we, we read this as what should, you know, what has Moses commanded you? But really you could also say this, what does the Bible say? Wouldn't you agree? Because see, to the Jew, the, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, that was the word of God. So when Jesus is saying, what did Moses have to say about this? Uh, um, he's saying, what's, what's the scripture say? Is kind of what he's saying. Always a good thing to answer questions with scripture. Um, whenever, you know, whenever you can. Well, Brett, some, some questions we get, we, they, don't, they don't really have a Bible verse that really answers the question. Oh, I'm well aware of that. People, that's where people love to go today. If there's a, a thing that the Bible's silent on, uh, people love to go to those kind of things. And, and it, it can be hard, but I still, I still think that uh, it's, if you don't know the answer, the Bible's still the answer every single time. Uh, don't, don't be afraid to say, well, what, is the, what does the Bible actually say on this? And Jesus is asking, uh, sort of putting it back on them. Um, now, what did the Bible say about this? Well, the, the big raging argument stemmed from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through four. That was, that was where, you know, uh, Moses wrote about when a man takes a wife, you know, if he marries her and it comes past that, you know, he, he doesn't really like her that much. Uh, um, now this sounds, this sounds flippant, what, what the Deuteronomy says, but it's not. If a man uh, does this um, and she does, he doesn't like her anymore um, because he found something wrong with her or she's done something evil, uh, then he can write her a bill of divorcement, you know, Moses said, um, and, um, and then she can go and be a, another man's wife. If that guy says, I don't like her and get her out of here, then she can remarry. This is the law. Now remember the law, are we under the law? No, let's keep that in mind because uh, that, that people get all hung up on this and get kind of tweaked out. Um, and it goes on talking about, you know, the, 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 the husband and if he dies and all this stuff. But, um, you know, uh, basically their answer, well, let's see what their answer, Jesus says, well, what did Moses say? Verse four, they said, Moses suffered uh, to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away, um, which is true. But Jesus, who is the word, don't forget that, knows the word, is the word. Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote this, uh, wrote unto you this precept. This is a, this is a huge, cool thing uh, that we learn about that Old Testament law. Um, you know, um, basically the wrong view is if, if you have a hard heart, then get a divorce is what Jesus is saying. If you have a hardened heart, then get a divorce. Hard heart. Um, the hard heart is not a reason for divorce, but a revelation about divorce. Um, it seems that Jesus is going to say divorce was never the intention. 
You guys are dabbling on how far can you go and still be within the confines of the law and sort of fudge as far as you can get and be okay with the law of God. But Jesus is saying, you've missed the whole thing, uh, the whole point. And how many times do these Pharisees miss the whole point when it comes to the Sabbath day, for example? They miss the whole point. We've done whole sermons on that. How many times do they miss the point uh, when they talk about adultery? And then Jesus says, man, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of the sin of adultery. In other words, it's all sin. You're still sinning, so stop parsing. Well, if we do this, then it's technically uh, you know, adultery. If, you, if we don't do this, then it's technically. And, and we get all into these technicalities, but I think Jesus is sort of, going from a higher level saying, um, it's the reason Moses allowed that law to be uh, written was because the hard heartedness of people. Um, that's, that's an interesting uh, really thing that kind of goes higher than the law. Jesus is higher than the law. So not a reason for divorce, but Jesus is giving a revelation about divorce. Now he goes on in verse six. Jesus says, but from, from the beginning of the creation of God, uh, of creation, God made them male and female. Uh, we need to underline that in our day, in our culture. I know it's almost crazy. Isn't it crazy how far we've gone away from just what God's intent for humanity is? And it's interesting, like, you know, there's only some countries in the world that are, you know, believing all this, this stuff about there's, you know, non-binary and that whole thing. Um, uh, it's, it's sad to see uh, how many people are, how many young people now are claiming to be non-binary? Uh, huge percentages of people uh, now because of the education process. Do you ever wonder, I, I get off course a little bit, but I, I, I've done a lot of reading on this and I've been thinking about why are we seeing this huge sudden in history? Like we never had this until like five years ago or maybe 2015, we started seeing the ramping up of, um, you know, what, what was, used to be called uh, dysfunction or, you know, dys dysphoria, gender dysphoria, which was like a condition. Now it's something to be celebrated. How did it get there and, and what's happening? And why are we seeing huge percentages of young people claiming to be non-binary? Um, and it's, there's a, a bit of a, a debate uh, on this from people that are, I think, having a little more of a healthy look at it. Is it because of the brainwashing of the education system? Or is it because of the medicines and drugs that we're getting? Uh, did you hear JFK Jr. this week? I'm not saying that he's right about this. I, I just heard him talking about how in our water system, there's more. Do you guys remember I talked about this in the Willamette River like 10 years ago. They were talking about how our fish were becoming more feminine. Did you guys hear about that? That was 10 years ago in the Willamette River. Our fish were becoming, hey, you know, it's like, it was, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, our fish. <laughs> I know, I should have done that. <laughs> um, but our, I remember our fish and, and I was thinking it's because the reason they said that is because some of the estrogen medicines and stuff that we were giving people was, would go you know, in through people's bodies into the water filtration systems back into the river and um, amounts of that medication would go into the river and causing fish to become less, you know, however, I don't know what a masculine fish looks like versus a feminine fish, but... Um, but, um, but now they're saying that it's in our water, our drinking water, there's traces of some of these medicines and these stuff. And some people are even, you know, conspiracy theory. I, you know, they're saying that they're putting it in our waters along with fluoride and stuff like that. Um, you know, um, but, um, and it's, it's, it's making uh, men more feminized. Um, and so you kind of wonder, is it a medical 
you know, prescription medicine problem? Or is it an education problem? Or is it both? All I know is young people by the droves. Um, and, it's, and, and the numbers are much higher for boys thinking that they're girls than the other way around. The numbers are much higher on that. But um, it's so sad. You know, in, in the beginning, God created the male and female. And then sin entered the world. And, uh, and, and now look what's happened. In our modern time, it's, it's so amazing how for thousands of years, we all believed one thing. And then suddenly our whole society, at least in America, we've said, oh no, there's no such thing as you know, binary, uh, even though the biology uh, says different. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's sad. But, um, but here you know, is where we see Jesus saying, you know, he made them male and female, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Um, so verse seven, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Oh, there's a good lesson for some. Um, if you're a young married couple, don't forget this. That's part of marriage is to leave your father and mother. That doesn't mean to diss them and say, yeah, whatever, mom and dad, see ya in 20 years. Uh, that's not what that means. It means that you shouldn't be going, oh, but mommy just said this and daddy wants me to do that. And I see this sometimes where sometimes uh, married couples are too dependent and too relying still on their parents. Once you get married, there is to be the cutting of the old umbilical cord. Uh, you need to kind of be independent. It's okay to be, you know, hanging out with your parents and, and take wisdom from your parents, but there also is a healthy, uh, you know, you're on your own. You're, you're a, a couple. You're your own sort of uh, entity. And, and Jesus even reminds us that that's part of the deal uh, to leave. Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says it, leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. That's important. And they twain or two shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man or let not man put asunder. Um, this is Jesus's answer on divorce. Um, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. Um, this is a radical thing. Now, verse eight, by the way, is where we see paradox number one. The two shall become one. I think that one of the mistakes we make is not looking at marriage like that. And, and it's a secularized sort of worldview to say, you know, I'm myself and I can do my own thing. And sure, we're married, but you know, it, there's, this, there's this movement that's happened, even in modern times where couples try to keep their own personal identity. And I'm not sure that's ever really God's intention. Um, the Lord wants us to look at married couples as one person. Um, and this can go, this, this is a radical kind of concept. Um, you know, if somebody talks to me, uh, uh, they'll say, hey, Brett, you know, I, I, I don't tell anybody this. Sometimes I'll have to say, well, if you're gonna tell me, I, my wife's probably gonna know this because uh, my wife, two shall become one. Uh, and so I'll probably tell her about this. Uh, and then, they'll, oh, maybe I won't tell you then. I'm like, great. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, I think you gotta look at it that way. Um, sometimes c people will try to put a dividing wedge between a couple by saying, hey, whatever you do, don't tell your wife about this, but this and this and this. And that's not biblical, that's not godly, that's unholy behavior, trying to drive a wedge between a married couple. Let no man uh, put asunder, it says there. Uh, this, this is where we see the two shall become one. Um, Jesus defines what marriage is between a man and a woman, and marriage is, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's been from the very beginning all the way since Adam and Eve. Jesus refers to the very beginning of creation, um, 
And so when our Supreme Court judged that homosexuality could be, uh, you know, marriage was legal, that was one of the days where our Supreme Court said, yeah, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe what the Bible says. We're gonna go with our laws of the United States of America over what the Bible actually teaches very, very clearly. Um, that was a huge victory for the uh, homosexual uh, community when they got that but it was never what marriage is. They should have called it anything but marriage. They could have called it uh, joining of people that are same sex or whatever they wanted to call it, but it's not marriage. Marriage is a biblical term. It's something God invented and they've tried to redefine what marriage is, but we just are not allowing that. You can call yourself married if you're a gay couple, but according to the Bible, you're not married. Uh, you can call it whatever you wanna be, what you call it, what you are, but uh, according to the Bible, uh, marriage is between a man and a woman, that's what the Bible actually teaches. Uh, so you say, Brett, I'm mad at you and I don't like you for saying that. Uh, again, you're mad at Jesus, not at me. This is what Jesus said right here. And I do like Jesus, I hope you do too. Um, you, know, um, uh, you know, is homosexuality uh, built into us? Some people say, that was the big argument. Do you remember, that was the big argument. Well, I was born this way and who are you to tell? And my argument, you know, I don't know the biology of that and the genetic makeup and all that. And there's been arguments since that big argument, there's been other arguments that have come out saying it's not genetic or whatever. Um, but I'm not even gonna go there, I'm not a scientist. Here's what I know. You could, you could say, you know, I was born a homosexual and I, I would say maybe you are just like, you know, all of us were born sinners as well. We're all sinners. We're all born with sinful tendencies. And don't forget that. Like, uh, you know, what about the, let's talk about someone we all don't like. What about the angry man? There's somebody who, nobody likes the angry man. Uh, the man that's abusive or angry or uh, always, you know, uh, grouchy or whatever. That's a sin. Uh, but that, nobody's saying he was born that way. So just let him be angry. You know, let's encourage, we're gonna have angry pride month. You know, I'm an angry man. I'm an angry man as we march down, you know, in our streets in Portland. Arr! You know, it's like, like nobody's gonna be like, yeah, celebrate anger. Um, uh, that, that's, that you were born that way, just like we were all born with sinful tendencies. And the whole thing is we're supposed to fight against that. When you become a Christian, the Lord's gonna slowly change your heart. And you're supposed to say, you know what? Sin is bad because it messes me up. And angry, being angry, it doesn't serve me well as a person. Um, just like homosexuality, the, you know, it doesn't serve a person well. Oh, it does me. It, it doesn't, according to the Bible. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. It hurts you, it messes you up. Um, and um, again, with anger or with uh, homosexuality, um, there's no twisting scripture on this. People have been twisting the scriptures about homosexuality now for uh, decades and say, well, the Bible says this or the Bible says that. And, and it's amazing to watch pastors of, of mainline churches cave left and right. Um, well, as long as you're not acting out on the homosexual behavior. Um, let's go back to our angry, angry man's, what if the man's angry in his heart and he's not acting out on that anger. We don't see evidence of that anger, but in his heart, he's got anger still. Do we want that guy to continue in his anger? No, because if that anger's in his heart, eventually it's gonna come out. 
Jesus talked about it. So what comes from within the heart without is what defiles the man. So this idea of saying, you know, you can be homosexual. You just, you can come to church. You can come to our church, you know, kind of as Andy Stanley just recently went kind of out and said, you can come to our church and you're welcome as a Christian. As long as you're not acting out on that behavior is kind of what a lot of these guys are saying now. That's, that might be politically helpful for the church to say such a thing. Uh, maybe it'll get some of the heat off of them. By the way, I don't think that's gonna help them at all with the politics of it. Uh, it's only gonna, whenever you try to ride the fence on stuff, it always messes you up. But, uh, but the point is that, that means he's sort of encouraging people just to burn with homosexual desires um, and just, just cover it up and act like it's not there. Um, you, as long as you're not acting out on it, you're okay. I think the Lord wants to change all of us. He didn't save you and me to keep us the way we are. He saved us to start to change our hearts and away from sinful things. Um, I know that that's, you know, there's probably a lot of people that you look, know and love, Bible teachers who are starting to say that. You know, uh, I just think that that's a dangerous sort of way of saying, because we're putting homosexuality in its own category. You can have, be a homosexual uh, in your heart or interiorly, but don't show it outwardly. As long as you're not you know, having gay sex, you're okay. Um, I think that it's still what's going on in the heart that's a problem. Um, so whenever we start twisting scripture to, to make, you end up with twisted scripture, watch out for that. Don't do that, that's a bad thing. Um, and, um, and when people say, well, the Bible doesn't really say this about homosexuality, can I just ask you to at least have red flags go up in your mind when somebody's acting like homosexuality is not a sin? and they're making their arguments, even though the Bible, just read Romans chapter one in whatever translation you want. Uh, probably the most crazy, brutal translation is the original Greek. Uh, watch out for that. Uh, but Romans chapter one is just one of those passages out of six main passages in the Bible that basically calls out homosexuality as, a, as an abomination. Meanwhile, our Supreme Court said, nope, it's perfectly great. We celebrate it and we're gonna call that marriage uh, today. Um, so, you know, and you know, now it's, it's funny when I was teaching this 15 years ago for Athe Creek, I was warning about what's coming. Now it's like hard to even, I mean, there's so much we could talk about that's already in place. It's a little bit shocking. Uh, I, I you know, I was talking about how the, the possibility of pedophilia and the possibility of people starting to embrace that and, and stuff like that. Now we're, we're so far there. It's, it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, something to note, I want to say, uh, to, to a correction that I want to make is um, I was reading some articles about, and you have to sure be careful with what you read. And I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, I do try to check all the articles I read and stuff like that. But once in a while, you're going to be duped. Uh, um, and I, I believe I've been duped on the, on the gay and lesbian flag on the pink and the blue lines. Uh, if, if you remember what I was talking about there, um, you know, the, basically represent pedophilia, but, um, but basically there, you know, if you go to the official artist who uh, made this, you say, bro, what does this matter? I'll tell you in a second. Um, uh, it represents the transgender people um, and not the pedophile or the maps as they call them, minor attracted persons, which is the new uh, sort of softened uh, language. Uh, we've gotten questions, Brett, where did Brett get that? And, and if, if you look now, people have sort of uh, fact checked that. It was an article that I read. But um, even still, that's a technicality about their flag. Um, the, the flag does represent LGBT. If you wanna do the alphabet full, full blown, the, the latest iteration, if you really want to know, you're saying, but we don't, um, uh, is LGBTQIA2S+. 
Um, L stands, I'll just go through a few of them. Lesbian, uh, G, gay, B, bisexual, T, transgender, Q, queer and or questioning. Um, uh, I, intersex, uh, A, asexual. Um, uh, uh, two is, is for the two-spirit. <laughs> um, I'm not even gonna go into that. It's, it's, uh, it's so ridiculous. Um, and, the, and then, um, you know, the, the two S plus, basically uh, the plus is, is, is what I was talking about. And it's basically the countless, of, it's affirming all the countless ways which people choose to self-identify. That's what the plus is kind of all about, which include minor attracted persons, pedophilia and stuff like that. Um, so, so the reason I wanted just to clarify that point, because that was incorrect what I said a couple weeks ago. But the, the f- fact is they're still, um, it's very clear they're, they're starting to embrace this group that was an outlier. Used, we used to put pedophiles in jail and now that's starting to be included more and more in that group. Um, and you know, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, did you see, you know, um, there were full, fully nude men at family-friendly uh, pride parades that kids were attending even last week. Um, and people were like, yeah, this is so wonderful. And, um, and you know, it, it's shocking to see the people's responses to that. Um, there were a bunch of people saying, uh, is anybody, doesn't anybody see how horrible this is that there's these na- naked men in front of children? And doesn't that bother anybody? Well, there was this one guy, not the bee, which is the true news version of the Babylon bee, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they showed an article, this is a true story, a real tweet defending naked men riding bikes in front of kids during a Seattle's Pride Parade. Um, this guy, uh, you know, he said, seeing a naked man isn't going to have much impact on any kid. And then he gives his, his reasons why. Um, but it's, it's amazing how if you read sort of through this, he basically just kind of, I don't think this guy understands how depraved and sinful he's become. We start to accept things as normal and, and rationalize why it's okay. But these men weren't just riding. These guys were pridefully, uh, you know, uh, doing what we used to call totally perverted. Um, and we would have put people in jail for that, which I think was the right way. Um, but now we're, we're there in a culture that says, no, you can't, you can't believe that stuff and you can't do that. We're not just supposed to tolerate this now. We're supposed to be allies of this. Uh, you know, the high school, the day of silence. And if you say anything, that means you're, you're pro, you know, a bigot, homophobe or whatever. And as time goes on, the furthering of the, the pride agenda and all this stuff is only making people like this try to defend the LGBTQI plus two community. Now, when I use those acronyms, LGBTQIA 2A plus or whatever, A2 plus S, um, I, want you, I want to go on record and say, I don't really use those affirming them. I'm going to say the whole letter list there is what we call biblically sexual immorality. The reason I say that, can I just, can I just um, say this? Because we have to be ever so cautious as Christians. The, you know, words matter. And when we, when we go around saying LGBTQ, um, maybe that's all you've got memorized, so you just kind of stick with that one. Um, the president can't even say that, um, but he can't say other things either, but <laughs> sorry. Um, but um, uh, if you're just going around saying LGBTQ, do you realize that in, uh, us just even using the acronym sort of normalizes the behaviors? Do you guys understand that? 
And I understand, like, like some people say, well, you Christians shouldn't call it alphabet soup or make mockeries of it or whatever. Uh, people say that. But I understand why people do, because we don't want to necessarily stand around affirming like, oh yeah, there's these LGBTQ. We want to affirm the LGBTQ. We're not affirming that. We're, we're saying no, we're, we're sad. It grieves our heart. That's why it's hard for me to just mock it because I don't, I, I, my heart is broken for, for these people. But when you look at the agenda and the way it's been hammered into our brains to sort of say the, say the acronym and try to keep up with whatever the latest one is, um, I don't think we as Christians are required to do that. We, we shouldn't have to keep up with all their acronyms and know what all their meanings are and uh, be all worried about that. I think that's actually to live a lie, uh, to just uh, embrace it. So uh, what should we call it? Well, you should pray about that. I've been praying about that. What do we, what do we call this? And, and I think what, what we just biblically, uh, remember when Jesus said, well, what did Moses say? Um, I, I was talking to our leadership about this on Sunday night. We were praying about this, talking about the, the whole issue. And um, I loved one of our elders said, well, Brett, you know, the Bible just calls it sexual immorality. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, like we all know that, but, but um, what does the Bible say? Uh, just like Jesus asked, you know, what is the scripture? What did Moses say? Well, we need to be saying, what does the Bible say? Well, these things are all, uh, you know, what, what the Bible calls fornication or sexual immorality. Anything that's sexual, this is important for you to know this. Anything that's sexual in visage or in behavior that's outside of the marriage relationship is called fornication. The word fornication is sexual immorality. Um, so, uh, you know, beautiful God-created sexuality is fairly narrow. People don't like narrow, but it doesn't matter. People don't like a lot. Um, but the Bible says if you want true, beautiful, God-ordained sexuality, it's, it's that between a man and a woman who is in the marriage relationship. Anything outside of that is called fornication. Um, and you don't, don't you know, try to call me and say, Pastor Brett, what, what about masturbation? Um, anything that's outside of the marriage bed, uh, that's outside of marriage relationship is called fornication. I know that's a hard line, but I'm just saying, if you wanna know what the Bible says, that's kinda, that's kinda you know, about as clear as it gets. Um, uh, and, and by the way, it's getting very hostile uh, toward those who are believing the truth. And stuff that I'm talking about here could get me in big trouble. <laughs> it's got a lot of other pastors in trouble who've actually said these things, but, um, but they're still true. And, and uh, one thing that I want you to realize is um, I believe it's possible that the, the, these along with other agendas uh, that the secularists are pushing, I think they could be, uh, uh, t there could be times coming sooner than we might think where it will cost you to just speak the truth of what the Bible actually says. Um, if you missed our last prophecy update, can I encourage you to watch it? It's, it's about persecution, coming persecution. And it's more about what are we gonna do uh, if that happens? And um, you say, Brett, do you really think it's coming? I think it could be coming way sooner than we think. Um, and uh, just send me a cake in jail uh, uh, with a hacksaw in it or whatever, that'd be great. No, uh, but uh, maybe I could live stream from prison or whatever. But um, <laughs> Great weight loss program. Uh, you got a weight room and play ping pong, watch TV, it's great. No, um, but, um, but 
the thing is about this, uh, um, this the prophecy that I didn't talk about, you know, make building bunkers and storing up food. That's a whole nother topic that I'm not an expert on. And, and you, you need to pray about what, what you think's coming and preparing. But I, I'm talking from a pastor to his congregation. You need to make up your mind right now, whether you're gonna speak truth like I'm just talking about tonight about LGBTQIA and all that stuff. Um, you gotta kind of decide now because if you're in the heat of the moment and they ask you at work, well, what are you gonna do at this? And, and if you don't know what you're gonna say already, you're probably gonna fail. Uh, you're probably gonna you know, have to say something that's a lie against your, your conscience of what you know is right and wrong. It's, it, and that's what we talked about, preparing your heart and being ready like Daniel who had already purposed in his heart to not defile himself with the king's meat. Um, I think that's something that we all need to be thinking about, praying about, talking about. Uh, so that was on Friday, last Friday's Prophecy Update. You can watch it on YouTube if you want. Um, now, all that to say, um, as, uh, as this all happens, uh, Jesus kind of nails down the thing and just says, basically, man, if, if you're married, don't divide it. That, like his answer is that. What, what, what God has put, to, uh, put together, let no man uh, put it asunder or divide it. That's, that's what he said. Um, you know, it's interesting in verse seven, did you see what it said? It says, for this cause shall man leave his father, mother. Um, uh, and, uh, and then verse eight, they, they too shall become one flesh. And then, um, and then verse nine, the word asunder, by the way, is, is a word that um, uh, is, is stronger than, like asunder is such a King James word, but um, it's chorizo. Uh, I know some of you are like, corzo, man, I'm hungry. Let's go. Uh, uh, yeah, chorizo, yeah, um, uh, but no, it's, it's chorizo, uh, uh, which means to forcefully separate pieces. Forcefully to rip is more of a term that we might use. Um, it's, it's, the Lord says, you know, when God puts something together, don't try to rip it apart. Imagine taking two pieces of paper and then with super glue, put a nice uh, layer of super glue on one piece of paper and then take that other piece of paper and glue it on top of the other and let it dry for, you know, the 30 seconds or whatever it takes, you know, with the super glue. And then if your assignment then was, now I want you to, to divide the two papers. How's that gonna go? Well, it's pretty rough on the two pieces of paper. And that's what happens in divorce. Um, that's why Jesus says, whatever God puts together, don't let people divide. And, and if you're a person who's been divorced, you probably already know what I'm saying. The sadness, the heartbreak, the destruction that happens to children and family and stuff that happens from divorce, it's, it's heartbreaking and sad. Um, uh, super glue, by the way. I remember I was on pastor on duty at a, at a church years ago in the office and this lady came running in the office, help me, you know, Pastor Brett. And pastor, there was a bunch of us around and she, was, she ran, ran in like this and she was, she was holding her hand like this and, and we're like, what's going on? And she said, I, I confused my, my eye drops with super glue. <laughs> yeah, true story. And her finger was super glued to her eyelid uh, and it was like legitimately locked in. Like we literally had to take her to the ER and they had to surgically remove her finger from her eyelid. Uh, so be careful with that super glue. <laughs> and be careful with marriage. But that's a leap, man. No, it's, it's true, I'm, I'm serious. Um, you see, because people play with marriage, like, oh, I think I'll marry him, I like him, he's hot, or whatever. Uh, no, you gotta really think through, can I live with this person for the rest of my life? 
it's almost like you have to picture, you know, uh, the long term, because they're not your husband, your wife, if you're 18 or 19 or 20 and you're getting married, they're not gonna stay hot like that forever. <laughs> Gravity kicks in and you start getting older and doing stuff and things start leaking and um, <laughs> hairs start growing. And like, it's funny, like, uh, you know, is it Tim Hawkins who talks about, man, I had these normal eyebrows until one day like a guitar string grew out of my <laughs> eyebrow. It's like, wow, what happened there, you know? <laughs> Old age, you know, and, and you know, we, we say in sickness or in health, oh, look, okay, when he has the cold, no, when he has cancer. And you have to literally, I remember helping this one woman whose husband was, he was normally like a 230 pound, big burly guy, and he had really brutal cancer. And I was over at their house one afternoon and just praying with them. and. And uh, he needed to use the restroom and they hadn't really had him in like the hospice care yet, but he was like right there. And, and she's like, oh, I'm just so exhausted. It's hard for me to carry. And, and by this time, this huge man was, was like 150 pounds now. But even still um, with his size, it was impossible. And, and, and so I, I just said, can I help? And she said, oh, you know, no. And I said, no, let me help. And so we went back there and I helped, you know, and, and um, he was heavy. And, um, and, she, and I realized she'd been doing this for weeks. Uh, for this husband, just lovingly helping him to the restroom across from the bed to the master bedroom and bathroom and then back to his bed. And, then, and I just saw this, this, this so, uh, it was unconditional love. And having done over a thousand marriages and weddings in my ministry career, um, how many times have I said in sickness and in health? And they're like, yeah, 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 sickness, health. It's like, I hear that vow and I kind of like, do you really know what you're even talking about? Because I've seen this, uh, as years go by, it's not an easy chore. Um, love is not a, an emotion as much as it's an action, it's a choice. And that's why I think, you know, we've got it all wrong. We think divorce is an option. Um, oh, Brett, you don't understand. Now, this is what I hear all the time, and there's whole organizations that are against me on this. There's church denominations that are against me on this, and they're gonna start arguing for divorce, why it's logical and why you should be able to divorce your husband. That's the big trend right now. And I'm, I'm an outlier now saying, wow, there's uh, you know, very limited biblical reasons for divorce. Um, but people don't like that. In fact, I'll admit it, I don't even like that. If I were writing the Bible, I would have added two or three things on the list of reasons you can logically divorce people. Uh, but I wanna point out that Jesus acknowledges the you know, adultery as you know, a reason but, it, but he even said it's because of the hardness of your hearts because of that. Um, yeah, and and it, it, well, what about abuse? I'm gonna say it, I've said it a thousand times, everybody misinterprets what I'm saying. I'm, uh, I'm just, I've, I'm used to it by the way. But, but we, if, if, if a woman is being abused by her husband, is that grounds for the divorce? Well, a lot of people say, well, of course it is. But uh, the Bible doesn't give us that out. Now, um, at Athey Creek, pastors here at Athey Creek, we've been accused of this, but it's never happened. We would never tell a woman who's being abused to go back home to her abusive husband. We don't do that. We get her to a safe place. We'll, we'll even provide a home. We'll, we'll pay for a home or housing to keep her and her children safe. And we will not ever ask her to go back to that house until unless we are all convinced and sure that that husband is no longer being abusive. Um, uh, it's a horrible situation. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, that guy should go to prison. Uh, we, could, we could fill in the blank of all the things we should do to the guy, take him out of the back 
40 of the church and kind of, you know, show them what it feels like a little bit. Like there's a lot of things that I, I've been tempted to do. Um, we have enough guys here at Athey to be really good at that. But um, abuse, sadly, shockingly, is not one of the lists there of reasons for divorce. Now, um, now here's the thing about this one that's so shocking. People get all mad about that, what I just said. But um, if, if, if somebody gets a divorce because of abuse, um, we're not gonna encourage that because the Bible doesn't encourage that. But if somebody does that, do we condemn them and kick them out of the church? No. We'll just say, well, that's, that's what they did. They chose to do that. Just like we all choose to do things. Some of them are knucklehead ideas or bad things or evil or even called sinful. Um, but it doesn't mean we're gonna kick them out or throw them to the curb. Um, if that happens, we're still gonna love you. We're still gonna try to help you. And we might even still try to help your former husband. And like, we're gonna, it's, it's amazing how people have created this false dilemma. If you're in an abusive situation, then you should absolutely get a divorce. Um, I think if you're in an abusive situation, you should absolutely get to a safe place and the church will help you in any way we can uh, to do that. That's, that's the way Athe Greek's been from the beginning. Um, but uh, but if, if you're saying, we want your help, Pastor Brett, for divorce and how do we give us counsel on a good divorce attorney, uh, we're not gonna help you with that because the, Jesus didn't give us that out. Does that make sense to you guys? Does anybody else, am I alone? Okay, so some of you still agree with the Bible. That's great. Um, <laughs> It's, again, it's not me. Uh, people get mad at me about this. But now you'll, you can find, if you're really looking uh, to find somebody who'll affirm you know, divorce as grounds, you know, per, abuse as grounds for divorce, you can find every other pastor out there almost. I mean, there's plenty of churches and pastors that'll give you the green light. Knock yourself out, man, that's right. He's abusive and you should divorce him. Like there's counselors, there's pastors and churches out there that will give you that. But if you're curious about the, what the Bible actually says, and they'll people twist scripture and say, well, it didn't say this, but if it said this, uh, but be careful on that one if, if you're really wondering what the Bible says. Um, so there's a couple things. One, uh, we're gonna try to love no matter what happens in, in your situation. That's gonna be our goal at Athe, to love you through it. Um, but another thing is make sure when you get married, make sure you know who you're marrying. That's one of the biggest goofs people make is they haven't done enough time. And they, they thought, oh, but I love him. Uh, and I'm like, no, but do you know him yet? That's an important thing. Well, uh, the religious leaders were playing the same games we're playing today with divorce and, remar and remarriage. And that's why they bring up the issue is controversial. And Jesus' response so far in our text here is just don't get divorced. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. Um, uh, <clears throat> and, and if you're not worried about where the line is, where divorce is legitimate, and you're saying, I'm gonna stick with my marriage and work on that till I die. Um, wedlock is a padlock and it's locked from the outside. And if you're in the house of marriage and a fire breaks out in the house, what do you do? Well, if you're locked in, you do everything you can to put the fire out rather than trying to break through the doors. That, people have uh, run for the doors. That's the problem. And, and, and many of the marriages I see that end in divorce, people are, are uh, running for the doors. In fact, Forbes did an updated uh, statistics in 2023. Um, and it's still about a little over half of marriages fail. Um, when it comes to first marriages, <coughs> more than just, just over half of first marriages fail. Second and third marriages are actually a far, far higher rate of divorce. 
<coughs> excuse me, when do couples divorce? The average length of a marriage is, uh, prior to divorce is eight years. Um, living together before marriage, couples, this is 2023, Forbes, not a Christian organization. Couples who live together before marriage are more likely to divorce and it's become to uh, the experts on marriage, living together prior to marriage is one predictor of the likelihood of divorce. That's kind of an interesting. Again, the Bible says that living together before marriage is called fornication. Um, um, people always say, Brett, you don't know what you're talking about. My husband and I, we live in the same house and we're just abstaining from sexual activity until we get married. Um, do I do that pretty good, talking like that? Um, uh, and here's my argument there. If that's true, which I doubt, but if it is true and you are able to live in the same house and to abstain from sexual activity, you shouldn't be getting married. You're not sexually attracted enough. There's something wrong with you. Um, I'm not, that wasn't a joke. Anyway. Uh, another interesting thing the Forbes people came up with, who are you surrounded by? Couples who have friends who divorce are 75% more likely to divorce than if they have friends that believe in like staying in marriage at all costs. Even couples with two degrees of separation from divorce still have a 33% greater risk for divorce. Uh, top reasons, number one reason for divorce, at least people say, is lack of commitment, uh, 75%. 60% people um, included infidelity, uh, conflict and arguing was number three, married too young, financial problems, substance abuse, domestic violence, um, down on the list, lack of support from family, health problems, religious differences, and no premarital education. Uh, that's always interesting. Um, so divorce as a Christian should be the D word in your marriage. You should never use that word in your marriage. I think we should get a divorce. And the reason why is you can say it jokingly or sort of just as a threat uh, to get your, you know, get somebody's, uh, you know, ire up or, you know, heart rate going or whatever. Um, but once you use that word, it becomes easier to say and then it becomes easier to do. Um, and sadly, Christian marriages aren't that much better in numbers necessarily than the secular marriages. But I believe that's because Christian marriages, we, we have tools that we don't use. If Christ is at the center of your marriage, then you're gonna have a stronger marriage. Solomon said, you know, uh, in Ecclesiastes 4.12, um, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, but a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's the two of you plus Christ, that third fold cord. Um, Ephesians 5.31 and 32, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, just like, Mark's gospel says, shall be joined to his wife, they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What's the mystery here? The Greek word for mystery is musterion, which means something that's about to be revealed, like pulling off of a veil over a beautiful piece of artwork. Um, so Paul's saying, I'm about to reveal the mystery of marriage. And he says, it's Jesus Christ and the church. Um, and, and how does that apply? Christ in the middle of your marriage. Christ is, in the, is, is, the, is the mystery. Um, how do you bring Jesus in your marriage? You worship Jesus, you pray, you read your Bible, you go to church together and make that part of your marriage, bring Christ in. It's the third fold cord. Um, and so it needs, you need a you know, one-step marriage program, Jesus right at the center. And there's a lot of couples that claim to be American Christians, but they haven't really done the Jesus marriage. And that's what's really required. So something to be aware of, something to think about for sure. Well, um, 
back to point number one, the two shall become one flesh. That's what, uh, that's what Jesus's first paradox is really about. Um, by the way, uh, why, did, why did these guys want Jesus to pick a side on this issue? Um, uh, in Jesus's day, uh, um, you know, I'd already talked about dividing his followers. That was what they wanted. But also maybe to, to offend Herod Antipas. Do you remember Herod Antipas? And how did John the Baptist get into some trouble? By calling him out about his marriage, the person that he was married with. If you remember that whole story, we talked about, you know, how um, John the Baptist called out Herod Antipas and that got it. That's not a way to get ahead, to say the least. <laughs> if you remember, Herod married his half-niece Herodias, uh, uh, despite the decrees of the Bible. Um, now, verse 12 uh, 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 would have shocked them. Uh, look, at, look at verse 10, and we'll start there. It says, and in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife or, you know, and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and um, be married to another, she shall commit adultery. Now we get all hung up on this. So can you, if you're, if you're divorced, is, it, is this Jesus saying you can't be remarried? Um, well, yes and no, but that sounds wishy-washy. Well, let me explain, this is important. But before I do this, verse 12 is shocking because they would have said, yeah, 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 in verse 11, whoever puts away his wife and marries another commits adult, adultery against her. Some people would say, yeah, we agree with that. But the idea of a woman putting away her husband was unheard of in those days. That's interesting. Can I just say, Jesus was um, uh, very much balanced in the men and women. You know, Jesus was an equal opportunity defender, but he also was a defender of women. People that try to make the Bible against women, they haven't really read what the Bible actually says. And this is one of those places where uh, they believe only man could initiate the divorce. According to the Mishnah, the Jews only believed a man could do this. So Jesus was basically, in, even if a woman says, I want a divorce, um, Jesus says, uh, you know, if, if a woman puts away her husband and then marry another, then she commits adultery. So there are some that would take this, and I understand why. They'd say, if, if you marry after being divorced, you're committing adultery. Um, but here's the, the problem. Um, do, you, do you believe that divorce is the unpardonable, unforgivable sin? No. Um, I, I, that's good because that's very clear in the Bible. There's only one unpardonable sin. We've done whole sermons on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and it's not divorce. But um, when, I, when I got my first license and ordain, ordination at 19 years old, I, I showed up to this wedding. It was a long story. I, I showed up and I wasn't supposed to be the pastor, but the pastor got sick. So they, they called me out to do my first wedding and I hadn't met the couple. I hadn't done any of the premarital counseling and I just show up at this wedding in the backyard of this really fancy house. When I got back there in my little suit, you know, when I was at my first wedding, you know, and I was all nervous and everything, I get there and you'd never believe what I saw. The husband or the bride and the bridegroom were standing in the middle. She was sobbing. He looked very nervous and agitated. One group of people were over here screaming at the other group of people. And this group was screaming at the other group of people. And the reason why is one of the, the bride or the groom had been previously married. And there was a whole group of people screaming at each other saying, they are committing adultery by getting married today. This is an adulterous thing. And we're, we're gonna stand here and oppose this wedding. And so this is my first wedding. <laughs> Howdy. You know, it's like, tell you what. Uh, um, now, um, the, but the, I, I do have to say, uh, the Lord blessed me with sort of, you know when you kind of sense the Holy Spirit talking through you? 
I just walked up and I, I basically told everybody to sit down and listen. And I said, now listen, uh, we're gonna do this wedding with or without you and here's why. And then I explained what I'm about to explain to you guys. And, and, and this, is, this is the thing. Um, it is possible to commit adultery if you've been married before and you just marry into another thing. That, that could be an adulterous thing. The thing you have to remember is there's other scriptures we have to take into account. For example, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. And, um, you know, and remember, uh, I already told you, Matthew 12, 31, all manner of sin is, uh, even blasphemy shall be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit's the only unpardonable sin. Um, now, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all, how many things? All things become brand new. Um, so now here's the thing. The, the, the thing is, I believe if a person was married and divorced and they have owned whatever role they had, even if the person was abusive or horrible or whatever, and the divorce was, but whatever that person saying, my part of sin, you say, I didn't sin, I got divorced, but it was all him. Probably not. You married the guy, that's your first sin. He was a dupe, he was a jerk. He was like, like that, that might have been your first sin, but I'm sure you were not perfect in that marriage. See, that's the problem, we all think we're so perfect. But if you repent of your sins and confess your sins, he is faithful. And I believe there is a, a way to become, in God's eyes, man's eyes will not look at you this way, but in God's eyes, you'll become brand new, a new creature in Christ. Um, your record of sin and even divorce has been washed away. All manner of sin has been forgiven. So do you understand, I believe if a person doesn't repent of that sin, that whatever was in the previous marriage, then I wouldn't marry them to a person unless they really dealt with that sin, whatever is that. I'm not saying they have to go back and reconcile or anything like that. I'm saying that they have to uh, reconcile between God and themselves about that sin. Um, does that make sense? So yes, if you've been married and remarried, make sure, even if you're remarried, and you're saying, boy, 20 years ago, I got remarried after it, but I'm not sure I ever really confessed my part to the Lord. You need to repent of that sin, whatever part that was in that previous marriage. Well, we gotta hurry, we're running out of time. I uh, only have like 40 more verses to go. <laughs> Verse 13, uh, they, the word they, there's masculine, by the way, in the masculine, they brought young children to him that he should touch them and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Um, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Interesting, that, that word for much displeased is interesting. And this is, by the way, where we get to our, our next uh, paradox in the story. Grownups shall become as children. Uh, check this out. Uh, Jesus sees the disciples saying, get these kids out of here. He's much displeased and said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and uh, put his hands upon them and blessed them. We've talked about this, how you must become like a little child, not childish, but you gotta become like, um, you know, sim sim simple, uh, with a simple faith, like a child, childlike faith is how we approach the Lord. But I love that Jesus took the time with the children. Yeah, bro, what happened to that in Athe Greek? Why don't you dedicate children anymore? Oh, we do. 
here at AC Creek, uh, by the droves. Um, there were too many babies. Uh, there, there's something in the water here uh, at AC that's different than the water that I was talking about earlier. But um, uh, we have so many babies. We've had to do, we, we've moved our baby dedications between the services. And they're kind of fun actually, by the way, where you can bring your whole family and we gather up in the corner over here and just get everybody in a big circle and we dedicate um, many babies. Uh, there's too many. We'd have to line them up on the stage here. Uh, and I just say, bless you, my child, bless you, my child, bless you, my child, bless you. Uh, but I, I, that wouldn't be as fun as what we like to do. And so if you haven't had your baby dedicated, it's something we do, dedicate just a prayer of dedication. Uh, we love, and, and, and we love kids at Athey Creek. Maybe you're an old Athey Creeker and you remember when we used to kick all the babies out of the service and you say, yeah, what happened to that? Why don't you guys do that anymore? Uh, I noticed babies screaming more in the, in the sanctuary. Uh, I'm just gonna tell you, honestly, we lost that battle. And it's not because we gave in to the actual battle. See, our old argument was we love children and making them listen to me, I'd be crying too for an hour and a half, you know, like that's a long teaching for a baby to be shushed. Um, well, Brett, I like to let my baby play in the aisle uh, during the teaching. Well, that's a distraction too. Um, and, it's, and, you know, we, we've got all this, you know, stuff where we used to get nailed for being the, you know, they, people called us the, uh, the baby Gestapo, you know, getting kids into the nursery. The reason we don't do that as much anymore is our church is so full all the time that I used to be able to say, hey, we have a wonderful nursery with room for your baby. I can't say that anymore. Sometimes the nurseries are just full. Uh, there's just not enough room anymore. Uh, it's a good problem. So we have lightened our thing with children in the sanctuary, if you've noticed. Um, but, um, but moms, dads, and help your friends understand this. If, if your baby is screaming in the service, uh, you, you, it, it is helpful for you to take them out for their help and blessing, but also for ours. Uh, now, some of said, Brett, you're so distracted by babies. I was a children's pastor. I, I, I am not distracted by babies. You are. I, I watch the whole congregation. As soon as a baby starts screaming, especially the moms and the grandmas, they're just watching. Oh, what's wrong with the baby? I think it needs changing. Oh no, if you hold it like this and oh, you need to, you know. Um, uh, and moms, man, I just lose them every time there's a baby crying or something. And um, we've had guys in the front row throwing their babies up in the air. It's like, uh, no, that's not a great idea. Um, I don't understand the thinking behind that. That's a distraction. That's, that's drawing attention to yourself. But I do wanna say, Jesus, when he saw the disciples dissing the children, he used the, the Greek word here is um, anakteo, which means to be moved with indignation and even grieved. He was grieved that the disciples were acting like the kids were worthless and Jesus pulls them up and loves on the kids. I love that. Well, paradox number three uh, is the poor shall be rich. Uh, and, uh, and we looked at that on Sunday, verses 17 through 27. And we saw again, the rich young ruler. But let me just do, if you'd allow me, three more verses. Um, uh, and then we'll call it a night. We'll end with verse 30. Uh, and that brings us uh, to, um, uh, and, and by the way, this verses 28 through 30 is also part of paradox number three, the poor shall be rich. Remember, and let me just remind you just quickly in verse 21, Jesus said, sell whatever you have, give to the poor that thou shalt have treasure in heaven. You know, and, and um, we'll talk more about this, by the way, this coming weekend about uh, rich churches versus poor churches and what that means. There's more coming on that. But along with the poor shall be rich, it goes on in verse 28. And then Peter began to say to him, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. 
Um, and Jesus answered it. So, so Peter's, what do you think Peter's doing? Uh, well, we, we've given all our stuff. Remember he told the rich young ruler, it's hard for a, a you know, or, or give up your poor and give, give the money to your poor and you'll you know, send your treasure to heaven. And then he turned to the disciples and said, oh, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now Peter's going, but we left everything to follow you. What are we gonna get? Um, that's kind of what he's asking. Verse 29, and Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Um, basically what we're seeing here is if my house burns down, if I'm an athe creaker, um, I know there's gonna be believers who'd help take my family in as part of church activity. If I walked into the church parking or uh, walked out to the parking lot and, and my car doesn't start, I, I'm confident I'm gonna have a ride home. I, I, I bet I'd have hundreds of people who would be willing, just like if your car broke down, you'd have hundreds of people, hey, I'll give you a ride home. You know, like, like we, and, and also, even if you follow Christ and your mom and dad are mad at you, you have a bunch of mom and dads in the church. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know, if you follow me, nobody's really leaving your father, mother, sister, brother, house, all that stuff, because when you join to the followers of Jesus, you're gonna, you're gonna receive a hundredfold, verse 30, uh, um, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, um, with persecutions. He adds the persecution part. Um, the more we give, the more we enjoy the benefits of the entire kingdom. Even in, before the kingdom comes, we see that as a church family. Uh, so instead of rebuking Peter, Jesus promises a reward for those who make sacrifice to follow him. And you're not really making a sacrifice, Jesus is in, because it's gonna come out in the wash. And that is the truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray uh, for this time that we've spent in your word. Uh, so many things. Lord, I pray that if I maybe misspoke on any of these topics, um, a lot of controversial issues tonight, uh, marriage and homosexuality and the sexual immorality that's abundant in our culture and just the worldviews we've adopted. And, um, and, and yet, Lord, I pray that rather than people just perhaps being offended, may they look deeply into the scripture and see if it's true. <clears throat> I pray that they would do diligence and not just go with their gut feeling because our gut feeling, well, Jeremiah says it's deceitful and desperately wicked. Uh, I pray that we go with, with uh, your word even as Jesus asked, well, what did Moses say? And, and we ask, what does your word say? In this day where we're living, where there's controversy swirling, give us biblical mindsets, not worldly, even when it goes against our own feelings or what we even think or believe to be true. Um, we wanna follow your word because it's tried and true and it's lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years as verifiable truth. So give us wisdom, Lord. Bless these, your people. As we go our way tonight, fill us up and encourage us as we go. We do pray for the marriages here at Athe. I pray for people to stick with it and be strong, not easily give up. I pray that they'd um, be in it for the long haul and, and seek to uh, put out the fire rather than run for the doors. Um, Lord, we pray that we would be uh, careful <clears throat> in this day not to affirm godless worldly views um, and that we wouldn't by accident, even with our words uh, affirm, the things that they're trying to uh, drive into our heads. So give us wisdom, Lord, pray blessing on these people in Jesus' name, amen.